Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. And I know that this is a podcast and you can only hear me. But if you were to see me, especially at Mass on a given Sunday, if you were to catch a glance at my socks when I genuflected, you would notice that they are fun socks. If I am not wearing Packer game day socks, you can bet that I am wearing socks from Socks Religious. Socks Religious brings you socks with saints on them. I own St. John Paul II, St. Joseph that I like wearing on Wednesdays, St. Patrick I like wearing during ordinary time. I have the rosary socks. I like wearing those on Marian feast days. St. Nicholas wore that one for the Feast of St. Nick on December 6th. I love Socks Religious. They are the perfect gift for me, and they can be the perfect gift for someone in your life. I encourage you to find the link to Socks Religious in the show notes today and buy a pair of socks for yourself, for your family, or for your friends. And now, on with today's show. Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. And today on this podcast, How They Love Mary, I'm happy to share with you a talk that I gave recently to the Spiritus Missionaries in Menasha, Wisconsin through Zoom. This talk is about Mary and journeying with her during the Advent season. I hope you'll enjoy it. You know, I'm very blessed always to speak to the Spiritus team about Mary. Uh, that's what people always want me to talk about and happy to do so with you today. And over the time, my talks on Mary for Spiritus usually take the liturgical season flavor. So last year I spoke right before Lent, which was nice because I had a Lenten journey with Mother Mary. So kind of just presented on the book and the themes of Mary's apparitions. And this year, of course, we're in December. It's Advent. So it's a good opportunity to talk about Mary and Advent and really Anytime that we talk about Mary, some of the same themes always emerge for us and for our uh, meditation, our consideration about the Blessed Mother. And maybe as we gather, you just think a little bit about your own devotion to Mary and and what that is like. Uh, I host a podcast called How They Love Mary, and we really, through that podcast, look at different individuals. You know, we talk about other different things like, uh, you know, today's episode was with Catherine Jean Lopez of the National Review Institute, her book, uh, uh, A Year with the Mystics, 365 Days with the Wisdom of These People, whatever the subtitle is. You know, so we talk about the book, but then we talk at the very end about their own devotion, their own relationship with Mary. And that's a question that you can reflect on as well. Just, you know, maybe what's the earliest remembrance of a Marian devotion in your own life? Who's been influential in that way? Maybe a grandparent was one that had a devotion to the Blessed Mother. Uh, also, you know, my Marian profile questions like, who are your, or what is a title of Mary that you've been invoking recently? You know, so those are kind of different questions that we think about and uh, they can tell us 
our relationship with Mary and help us to unpack it a bit more. And so today, as we talk about Mary and the Advent season, maybe we do so first by praying and beginning in prayer. And there's a prayer that I believe is the perfect Advent prayer, and it's the Angelus. And so uh, we can just pray the Angelus together, and I'll share why I think it's the perfect Advent prayer uh, here after we pray it. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. May it be done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary Mother, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may that be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech Thee, O Lord, Thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ Thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by His passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I really think the Advent, for the Advent season, the Angelus is a good prayer of preparation for a few different reasons. The first is, it's a very incarnational prayer. What is Christmas? It's us recalling the fact that, as it says, the Word became flesh. And so during the Advent season, we say those words, and it really helps us to focus on the fact that Mary receives the words of the angel. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so from that moment then, Mary has this prolonged Advent season. You know, she has nine months of Advent. We have four weeks of Advent. She had nine months as she waited, uh, giving birth to Christ on Christmas Day. So that was her Advent. So really, we call to mind that fact. Uh, we have that incarnational, as I said, the word is made flesh. And Actually, during uh, Christmas Mass, we genuflect. And maybe as you've prayed the Angelus, there has been customs where you bow at that point, you genuflect, but there's that reverence that's given to the fact, and the Word was made flesh. And on Christmas Day in the Creed, we actually genuflect at the words, and became man. You know, he was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. So I think that as we do that liturgical action of genuflecting, of bowing, it's almost as if we're anticipating that moment of Christmas Day. And the other thing, too, about the Angelus is that that prayer, pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts. Well, that is one of the prayers for the Advent Sunday. It's either the third or the fourth Sunday of Advent. So you have that um, there as well. So that's why I think bundle the Angelus together. You get the perfect prayer to pray during the Advent season and to prepare uh, for the Christmas uh, holiday. Now, as we think of Mary and Advent, the very first thing that we can call to mind, and maybe I'll just lay out my agenda so, so once you're bored, you'll know how far along we are um, because I don't have 
a PowerPoint or anything like that. But uh, basically, I want to touch a little bit about Mary's life as a lifelong Advent. The second then, just the two Marian feast days that we have. And actually, today is Our Lady of Loretto. So there's the third Marian feast day, kind of all within a concentrated uh, few days. But I I want to focus most especially on Our Lady uh, as the Immaculate Conception, Our Lady of Guadalupe. And then to close out, to focus on Pregnant Mary and the Nursing Madonna. So uh, those are kind of the the different images, different themes I want to touch upon as we think about Mary and the Advent season. But Mary was this Jewish girl. She uh, was born, as you know, to Jochum and Anne. And the Jewish people read the Old Testament. The entirety of the Old Testament is the Jewish people waiting for the coming of the Messiah, that God promised that he would send the Savior, that he would send the Messiah, and then God fulfills that. And he does so through Mary, that by Mary's yes, that that brings about redemption, that brings about the Savior in her womb. But we can really consider the fact that Mary prepared her whole life for the coming of the Messiah, just like all the Jewish people did. So her whole life from the moment in which she came forth from the womb and as she, uh, according to tradition, was in the temple, the presentation in the temple, well, that was a moment of preparation for her to be the mother of the Savior, for her to be uh, the mother of our Redeemer. So it was a whole lifelong Advent. And the Marian prophecies of the Old Testament, principally, we can think of uh, Isaiah a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel. It's the most popular one. We have songs about it. O come, O come, Emmanuel. He is God with us. May he come and ransom captive Israel. So the Jewish people were crying out. They were longing for the coming of, of who we now know as Jesus. And they were waiting. And Mary patiently waited with all of them. In fact, in my book, A Heart Like Mary's, that's day one, a heart that patiently waits to think about the fact that Mary waited with all of the people of Israel for the coming of the Savior. November 21st, we have that feast day of the presentation of Mary in the temple, according to custom and tradition found in the Proto-Evangelium of James, that they brought Mary. The story of Hannah, or the story of Anna and Jochum is that that Anna and Jochum were, were infertile. They were struggling. They didn't, they, you know, kind of the, the stories that we've heard of, uh, of different people in the Old Testament. And they made this promise to God. This is all from the Proto-Evangelium of James. They make this promise to God. If you give us a child, we'll dedicate that child to God. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Hannah in the Old Testament praying to God. I will dedicate my child to you, O God. And she has Samuel. She dedicates Samuel to Almighty God. Samuel grows up and lives a holy and just life. And Hannah has her song. And we know that it's a paraphrase, or Mary paraphrases it. She gives us her Magnificat. But there's the prayer of Hannah in the book of Samuel that you can find. But there's these connections then. So we have Anna and Jochum. We're going to dedicate the child. So according to custom, at a certain age, Mary goes. She's given to the temple. She lives there then. There was a custom of the temple virgins. And she's in the temple until about the age of 12. And that's when she becomes betrothed to Joseph. But what was she doing in the temple? Well, she was preparing her heart. She was preparing her life for this mission that God already had for her. Now, Mary, from the moment of her conception, was spared already from original sin. She was chosen by God for this special purpose. 
And so perhaps as she's in the temple, she comes to realize this. As she's in the temple, she hears these prophecies. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he'll be Emmanuel. Rejoice, O daughter Zion, for the Lord is in your midst. He'll remove the guilt of your people. From Zephaniah chapter 3. So Mary knows these prophecies. And little did she know, probably, that she was going to be the one who would be fulfilling them. That she would be daughter Zion. That she would be the virgin to give birth to the Savior of the world. So that's the first thing. Advent, our four weeks of waiting for the Savior to come on Christmas Day, our lifelong Advent, just as Mary waited with the Jewish people for the beginning of her life, well, we have this lifelong Advent because our Advent season is waiting for the coming of Jesus at the end of time, that we are waiting for Christ's return in glory. And so we're always watchful and alert as the Gospels tell us that we should be. And we are waiting in prayer. And maybe Jesus will come back by the end of time, maybe uh, in our lifetime. But if not, well, we will go out and we'll meet the Lord who is our merciful and just judge and we'll give an account of our life. And so we we are waiting for that advent, for the coming of Jesus in our own life. So just as Mary had her lifelong advent, we... Hers was on the front end. Her advent was fulfilled. We have this lifelong advent, but it's on the back end as we wait to meet Jesus. But we have that help in our life that we have Jesus present in the church. We have Jesus present in the Eucharist and in the sacraments. And so so we do have him with us. He is Emmanuel. What the prophets foretold and promised truly has been fulfilled and Just as Mary experienced it, we are experiencing it in our own lives as well. Now, this Advent season that we find ourselves in is a very Marian season by its very nature. In fact, as we get closer to Christmas, listen to the opening prayers at Mass. They have Marian references. Listen to the readings. Once we get to the O Antiphon times, we'll begin to hear, this is the story of how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And then we'll hear the Annunciation to Zechariah, the the story of the forerunner, John the Baptist. Then we'll hear about the Annunciation of Mary and the Visitation and all of these different things leading us up to Christmas. So our Advent season focuses on the mystery of Mary by the very nature of what Advent is, waiting for the coming of Jesus in the manger on Christmas Day. And so really it's Mary pregnant, waiting with her in these last few days. But our Advent season has, as I mentioned, these Marian feast days. We have the Immaculate Conception. We have yesterday, St. Juan Diego. We have today, Our Lady of Loretto. We have Our Lady of Guadalupe on Saturday. So we have these Marian feast days. So there's another component of making Advent a Marian season. And this Advent season with Mary then is all about life, I think. It's all about the dignity of the human person, the Immaculate Conception. Well, we as Catholics and, and you know all people really should promote the sanctity of human life from the moment of conception to natural death. And we see this here in the Immaculate Conception, that if God did this for Mary at the very moment of her conception, well, that's a very special thing. There's already life there. And so I think it exudes kind of this pro-life message. But what is the meaning of the Immaculate Conception for us in our own life? And Uh, Why is it important? Well, it's important because of what God does, that God spares Mary from original sin. And how does God do it? The opening prayer for Mass on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception says, 
that God does this by foreseeing the merits of the cross in virtue of the death of your son and applying them to Mary at the moment of her conception. So God, who is outside of time, sees this taking place already, the salvation, the crucifixion of Jesus, those graces applied to Mary at the very moment of her conception. So this is Mary becoming a member of the redeemed. So she needed a savior, that is Jesus. The merits of the cross applied to her at the moment of her conception. So so we have that. I think really the significance of the Immaculate Conception, maybe two things. We hear the story of um, Mary being full of grace, and that's the Annunciation. That's what we hear. And that's why so many people think the Immaculate Conception, this holy day, is the story of Jesus's conception, because we hear that. But no. Why do we hear the story of the Annunciation? Well, because the angel says, you are favored. You are the favored one. You are full of grace. And what is that grace? Well, Mary receives the grace of redemption already. And that's why she is full of grace, because she's preserved from original sin. So for us, the in the Immaculate Conception, what it means for us is that we too can be full of grace. Our fullness of grace is different than Mary's because she had that singular privilege. That's uh, something we say about Mary, the singular privilege given to Mary. She had that, and that was the Immaculate Conception. Now, we talk about other privileges of Mary. This is kind of an aside, but we talk about the assumption. We don't call that a singular privilege of Mary, but she is the first to experience it. That Mary, body and soul, is in heaven. This is her privilege, but it's going to be the privilege of all of us. That in the unification of the body and the soul after death and the final resurrection of the body, that's what we profess. I believe in the resurrection of the dead, Well, that's what we believe. And so Mary already experiences that. And one day we're going to experience that too. So that's a privilege of Mary, but it's our privilege one day as well. But the Immaculate Conception is Mary's singular privilege. But we can be full of grace. And how is that? Well, through sacraments, through our sacramental celebrations of the Eucharist, God gives us grace. Through our sacramental celebration of confession, God gives us grace that where there's vice, we might increase in virtue, that where there's sin, we might be forgiven. And so that's the fullness of grace that we can experience. There's grace that God sends us in our life, the divine help that he gives us each and every day when we pray to him. And so God is always giving us these graces. Mary is the mediatrix of grace. She obtains these graces from her son for us. So to me, that's one of the significant things about the Immaculate Conception is Mary's fullness of grace. Now, I know as a team that you probably pray the Liturgy of the Hours together and In morning prayer for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, there's that beautiful antiphon, O sinless Virgin Mary, um, may we follow you in the order of holiness. Or, you know, that's a paraphrase, but that's the sentiment there. And so, you know, who Mary is, well, we hope to attain that. Who Mary is by her prayers, we hope that we'll receive that. That in our life, we too might strive to live without sin. And when we do sin, we go to confession, we receive God's mercy, God's forgiveness, and that's what we need to do. So uh, that's that's the Immaculate Conception in a nutshell, for me at least, why I think it's important. But it's a, a great feast that we have during this Advent season. It draws our attention to the Blessed Mother. And then we have the apparitions of Our Lady. She first appeared to Juan Diego in 1531 on December 9th. 
That's why it's his feast day on December 9th, yesterday. And then on December 12th, Mary appears and speaks to, to Juan Diego again. I tweeted this yesterday, and I, I haven't done it yet, but I plan to, especially in anticipation of the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. But uh, here's the thing, that in the prayer for, uh, for St. Juan Diego, it says, uh, and it caught my attention when I prayed it yesterday, that may we follow the counsels that Our Lady gave at Guadalupe or something like that. And it's like, well, maybe we need to go through the Guadalupe message and we need to find out what are those counsels that we need to live from the Guadalupe message. So again, this is the Advent season. It was Advent for Juan Diego when Our Lady comes. And so our Lady really prepares Juan Diego for a mission. Our Lady comes to Juan Diego and prepares a country to be evangelized, to be converted. And that's what happens through this message. And we have this celebration during the Advent season, which I think really um, helps us. And, and it, is, it draws, again, our, our focus to the Blessed Mother during the season. And one of the things... Uh, about the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe is that Mary has this pregnancy belt on. So that's why Our Lady of Guadalupe has become the patroness of the pro-life movement is because she is with child. She appears with these images that the Aztecs would understand and, uh, and she communicates a message to them. Why does Mary come? Well, she comes because she wants them to come to know who the true God is. They were worshiping false gods. She wants them to worship the true and living God. That's what she says. Now, there are two uh, two different things. Well, I should I, I should never put a number with things because I might go on. So, there's a lot there, a lot of riches uh, in the Guadalupe message, and maybe just to point out a few things that have caught my eye. Um, you know, the very first one is how Our Lady addresses Juan Diego. Now, I'm going to make a book recommendation. Uh, maybe maybe somebody already has gotten it. I, I don't know, but uh, it just came out last month. It's from the Daughters of St. Paul. They came out with this very beautiful book. Uh, it's downstairs. Otherwise, I'd show it to you. But it's called In Cello et in Terra. So in, on earth as it is in heaven, the line from the Our Father in Latin. And it's 365 days with the saints. And uh, one of the sisters or some of the sisters from my podcast, How They Love Mary, I'm interviewing uh, one of the sisters uh, today uh, for next week's episode about it. So, um, but illustrated the uh, il illustrated each and every day, 365 days, beautiful images of the saints or symbols of the saints. And, um, I, and they have, you know, the story of the saint, a little reflection and meditation, a prayer, etc. And, and uh, yesterday for Juan Diego, it was a very beautiful uh, image they had of Juan Diego with the tilma. And, and they, draw, they drew it out. You know, how does Our Lady address Juan Diego? Well, Juanito, my Juan de Guito, you know, so Juan, my dearest Juan. You know, this very tender language of the Blessed Mother, the way in which she speaks um, to... Uh, uh, to Juan Diego. And just as she speaks in that way to Juan Diego, she's going to speak to us. Because she is our mother in the order of grace, she is our spiritual mother 
We are her children. She looks at us in the same way that she looked at Juan Diego. And in fact, you know, the thing about the Guadalupe image is they say that the eyes, they're, they're very real eyes. And in the eyes, you can see the reflection of Juan Diego in the tilma. So it's kind of like this impression from the apparition. But Mary looks at us and we look at her. We want to see her and we want to be seen by her. Just as she saw the needs of that couple at Cana, we want her to see the needs of our life. Mary speaks to us in a very similar way as she spoke to Juan Diego. Uh, she says, you know, like for me, I am Edward. So she would say, oh, my little Eddie, you know, that's what Mary could say to me. And as we reflect upon that, maybe in our own prayer, we want to hear Our Lady say our name. Maybe that's something we want to imagine. Um, but we can hear her say that, but then maybe ask the other question. Well, just as Mary is a tender mother to me, well, how can I show my tender devotion to her? What can I give in return for the way in which Mary loves me? How, you know, is it through the prayers, through devotion? How do I talk to her? Do I call her mom? Do I call her mama? You know, can I have that very familiar devotion um, with the Blessed Virgin? Here's another thing about the uh, Guadalupe apparition. She said, uh, listen, Juan, my dearest and youngest son, where are you going? Now, this happens that she, Juan Diego knew that Our Lady was going to return. He knew that she was going to ask him, like, w did you go to the bishop? What, you know, she, she, she was going to ask these questions. What did he do? He wanted to run away from her. <laughs> He ran away. He went a different way. He's like, I am not going to go to that spot where I saw the Blessed Virgin. And so she says, Juan, where are you going? And maybe in our own life, that's a question Mary asks us. Where are you going? Why are you doing this? But maybe too, we can even ask like, where are you going? He was avoiding it. So maybe in our own life, do we avoid God? Do we avoid prayer? Do we avoid the spiritual? That could be one of these like hidden lessons uh, from the Guadalupan apparition. Uh, then Our Lady goes on. Uh, she says, how long is the message? Let me just look here. Uh, well, it goes on. I think all the bold is, is what Our Lady says, but well, I'll just say a few, a few things about it. But she says, I'm the perfect and ever virgin, Holy Mary, mother of the God of truth, through whom everything lives, the Lord of all things near us, the Lord of heaven and earth. I want very much to have a little house built here for me in which I will show him. I will exalt him and make him manifest. I will give him to people in my personal love, in my compassion, in my help, in my protection, because I'm truly your merciful mother, yours and all the people who live united in this land. Um, so, so I think we see a lot there uh, in, that, uh, in that statement of the Blessed Mother. Dogmatically, what do we believe about Mary? We talked about the Immaculate Conception, but we believe in her perpetual virginity, that she was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. And, well, Mary herself attests to this. She says, I am the ever-virgin Holy Mary. Just as Mary says at Guadalupe and as she preceded the declaration of the dogma, as she appeared in 1830 to Catherine Labore, O Mary conceived without sin, 
Well, Mary here is affirming the dogma. I am the ever virgin Mary. Don't, don't doubt this. You know, she, she doesn't say don't doubt it, but by her saying it, it's drawing attention. I'm the ever virgin Mary. But what is Mary's purpose? It's always to show forth Christ. I will show him. I will exalt him and make him manifest. I will give him to my people in all my personal love. So that's Mary's purpose, always to show forth Christ. She says, here I will hear their weeping, their complaints, and heal all their sorrows, hardships, and sufferings, and to bring about what my compassion and merciful concern is trying to achieve. So, um, I will hear their weeping, their complaints, heal their sorrows and hardships. Kind of sounds like the Hail Holy Queen in this Valley of Tears. My sighs, my mournings, and my weepings. You know, Mary understands these things. She lived our life too. Just as Jesus, who is our Redeemer, who assumes human nature to redeem it all, Mary has experienced it. And so she hears our weepings and our complaints. She brings them to her son. So it's a very beautiful message. You know, if am I not here? I who am your mother. Are you not under my shadow and protection? You know, that's that's what Our Lady says. She wants us to know that she is our mother. Are you not in the hollow of my mantle, in the crossing of my arms? This is who Mary is. And she obtains that grace of healing also uh, for Juan Bernardino, the, the uncle of Juan Diego. So the Guadalupe message, it was a, a preparation for all that God was going to accomplish and uh, Mary says, I will do this. I will show, I will praise, I will, I, I will praise God, I will hear the people's prayers. And, and that's the confidence that we still have to this very day. Okay, I know I've talked a very long time. Just uh, maybe to close with two more points that I think are very uh, powerful images for the Advent season. And the first is just realizing that Mary is pregnant at this time, that as we make our progress towards the, the holy day of Christmas, that Mary is pregnant, the church is pregnant, Mary is in these last days. So um, there's those beautiful images of the pregnant Madonna. But uh, most importantly, after Mary gives birth to Jesus, well, what does a mother do? A mother has to nurse their child. And there's a, a tradition uh, called the Maria Lactans. It's uh, the nursing Madonna. It's images. I remember the very first time I saw the image, I, like many people now, I talk about this because it's one of my favorite images of Mary, but uh, I was a little bit scandalized, maybe. I was taken aback. I'm like, I don't know if this is right. But it was Mary with her breasts exposed nursing the Christ child. In fact... I'll just show you a little image. This one is from the Holy Land. You're all far away, but you can. This is uh, at the Milk Grotto in the Holy Land, and it's Mary nursing the Christ child. There's this legend in the Holy Land that a drop of her milk fell to the ground, and that's why there's a shrine there. Probably not a true story, but nevertheless, there's been miraculous prayers uh, for infertile couples there. And that's really what Maria Lactans or Our Lady of La Leche, as she's honored in Florida in St. Augustine, one of my favorite shrines, my all-time favorite shrine to Mary in the whole wide world is in St. Augustine. And um, uh, this idea of La Leche babies, people who are infertile going there, they pray for the grace of fertility. They're told they never could have children, but yet they go, they pray, 
and they experience this grace of fertility. And for some, maybe they won't, but they'll experience the gift of adoption then. And so it's Mary's answered prayers. The the nursing Madonna, it's a, a powerful image for me. And I gave a talk and I didn't necessarily do this to be controversial. You know, sometimes people do things to evoke confrontation, but I was to give a talk in the month of May at a parish and they wanted me to speak on my favorite image of Mary and other people were going to come. I'm like, well, I want to teach them about Maria Lactans. I want to teach them about the nursing Madonna. So I get to the parish. I have a PowerPoint. I have the images and I, th- I think two or three people walked out of the talk. They were flabbergasted by the fact that I had images of the Blessed Mother with her breast exposed, nursing the Christ child. I didn't do it for shock, but this is a part of our Catholic tradition. This is, you know, the, the um, images, you know, that, that painters have painted for centuries. And uh, they walked out of the talk. And I think that it kind of tells, it's, it's a tell of something that, that, we can't really look at that. In a sense, we have divinized Mary. Some people have this divinized image of Mary that they can't even think of the fact, well, she was a mother. She nursed her child. She did the things that mothers do. Like It's something that they never want to consider. And so in a sense, it's almost really, I think, a denial of Mary's motherhood, you know, walking out of a talk like that. Like, I'm denying who Mary is as a mother. And but it's a, a a beautiful image and the devotion behind it. You know that's what I really wanted to share about the infertile couples and how many of them have received the grace of fertility. There was a couple that I knew, and they had five kids, four five kids. I'm not sure how many. They had several, um, and so but she they wanted to have another child, and the the mother. Uh, had been pregnant, she miscarried, pregnant again, miscarried. And then she. they came to me and I told them the story about Our Lady of La Leche. I actually gave them an image of Our Lady. I have t- dozens of these images of Our Lady of La Leche that I give out to people. And and so they, they put it in their house and they began praying and she was pregnant. And I'm like, oh, I'll pray with you. I'll pray for you. You know, I'll join you in your prayer. They were praying for safe delivery. That's another name at the shrine in in Florida is Our Lady of Good Delivery. And uh, so this couple, uh, she she calls me one day and she's like, I miscarried. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And, uh, you know, not what they wanted. A few weeks go by and she she calls me or stops by the parish and she says, you know, I'm I'm going to the doctor tomorrow. I still feel like I'm pregnant and I'm still having the effects of pregnancy and goes to the doctor and finds out that she miscarried one child, but she didn't miscarry a second. She was she was pregnant with twins. And so she credits the intercession of Our Lady of La Leche to sparing the life of that other child. And there are many stories uh, that I've received. And, you know, it's kind of one of the charisms I've taken on to pray for couples in this situation. And uh, I've been to the Milk Grotto a few times in Bethlehem. I've been to Our Lady of La Leche several times. And every time I post on social media that, hey, I'm going to the shrine. Do you know someone in this situation? I'll pray for them there. And I'll get lots of names. And I do get like grace reports that people will reply a year or two later. They'll message me and say, you remember when you prayed for so-and-so? Well, they had a child. 
a couple in my parish, or uh, you know, an older couple. They sent me the names of someone, family friend, not even their own children, but someone they knew struggling to conceive. And they said, you know, we sent you their name, you prayed for them, and they had a baby nine months later. Another couple in my parish struggling to conceive. We prayed to Our Lady of La Leche. One of the reasons I went there one time was just to pray for them. I baptized their baby a few months ago. So this is a powerful devotion, and it's it's a Christmas devotion in a sense to, to reflect on and meditate on Mary as the nursing Madonna, that she, that she nursed the Christ child. I wrote a book called A Rosary Litany that inserts a phrase after the name of Jesus in the Hail Mary prayer. And uh, so when you pray the rosary, so like, thy womb Jesus born in Bethlehem, thy womb Jesus born to set us free. And one of the phrases I have is, Holy Mary, Mother of God, nursing the Christ child. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Because I think it is something that we can uh, pray with and really um, a part of this Christmas mystery uh, that we celebrate. So Mary, who is our lifelong companion, is obviously an excellent journey uh, for us during the season of Advent. We can journey with her as she journeys with us because we are going with her to uh, Bethlehem. We're going with her and we'll see the Christ child uh, there born for us in Bethlehem. There's this song, Stainless the Maiden. It's one of my favorite songs, and I'll just sing you the first verse. But uh, uh, Stainless the maiden, whom he chose for mother, nine months she waited, bearing Christ our brother. Think of her gladness when at last she saw him, God in a manger, Bethlehem a heaven. Think of her gladness when at last she saw him, God in a manger. Nine months she waited, and now we can think of her gladness. And maybe that's what we allow to become the point for our meditation during this Advent season. Think of her gladness for that first time that she saw him. And think of our gladness when we'll see Jesus face to face at the end of our own life. But as we go to the manger scene on Christmas Day, we too will be filled with joy because Christ's birth brings joy into the world on that silent and on that most holy of nights. And so we will go there joyful and triumphant to be with Mary after the season of Advent is completed. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast and want to support the podcast, I'd encourage you to do so by becoming a member at Patreon. By supporting this podcast on Patreon, you will help to pay for the monthly fees associated with the podcast and the a possibility of upgrading equipment and also putting money into advertising and promotion. If you like this podcast, I'd encourage you to share with your family and friends. And please like it and review it on Apple Podcasts. Post about this podcast on your social media. And when you're on your social media, you can follow me, Father Edward Looney, at the handle at FR Edward Looney on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I can't wait to share another episode of How They Love Mary with you next time, so be sure to tune in then. Until then, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.